0: This evening, I want to talk to you about great expectations and what the, the Word of the Lord says. When Jesus when Jesus saved me, when Jesus forgave me of my sins, now I grew up knowing all about Jesus. I grew up learning about Jesus. I grew up in church. But until that time came when I actually committed my life to Jesus Christ, I wasn't the kind of person that was talking about Jesus and sharing Jesus. But when Jesus, when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, something happened in my life. I just naturally began to want to share him with others. I began to want to talk to him about, uh, to other people about him. I wasn't always the smartest when it came to knowing how to talk to people about Jesus. But I can remember whether it was bagging groceries or whether it was as a, college student just going out on the streets and and sharing Jesus I just had this insatiable desire to learn to share Jesus Christ when Jesus changes your life there's something about you you want to talk about him you want to tell other people about him that has not changed in my life I still like to talk to people about Jesus but I've learned I need to talk to Jesus about the people I want to talk to first so that their hearts and their minds and their eyes are are open to the gospel. Secondly, I have had to learn how to communicate in different cultural contexts at different times and seasons of life. The Gentiles in this passage of scripture we're going to be looking at, you have to remember because for the last two weeks I've shared this each time I preached, We looked at one miracle that Jesus did where the Gentiles were actually beginning to share the gospel. Jesus was in what we know as Syria now. And they said, everything he does is wonderful. He's actually having a better response from the Gentiles than he's had from the Jewish people. Jesus is about to do another miracle, but there's a couple of things that you need to know about this miracle tonight. And it's the reason I've entitled it Great Expectations. I shared it with one of the men in the church today, and he goes, that's real original, you know. I admittedly stole that title from Charles Dickens. But the fact of the matter is, and it's funny how some of you are just looking at him already. You know who did that to me. So Jesus, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. He's fed 5,000 people. And the Pharisees come to him, and they say, right after he's done this, just with a few loaves, seven loaves and a few fish, They go, show us a sign. And I can imagine Jesus going, really? Are you serious? Really, you want me to show? I've healed the sick. I've cast out the devils. I, you know, I've raised a dead little girl. And you want me to show you another sign? And then his disciples get in the boat. And remember, we talked about this last week. And Jesus tells them, beware of the yeast or the teaching of the Pharisees. And they think Jesus is mad at them because they didn't bring any bread and jesus says in uh, mark chapter 8 and verse 18 you have eyes can't you see you have ears can't you hear don't you remember anything at all i think jesus was saying it this is my way of saying it i think jesus is saying look if i want to whip up some quarter pounders i can do that right now you know it's, this is not about bread i've already demonstrated to you that i'm able to feed the Bible clearly says man shall not live by bread alone. The Bible clearly says that, that the word of God is bread for our lives and that by eating that bread, we, we, we have life. The Bible goes on to say Jesus would later teach in John 6, and we will not take a look at that tonight. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood... And that's another way of saying unless you accept my word unless you accept me and your sins are atoned for and washed for and and by my blood you can't be my disciples and so it's it's this confusing thing that we look at and the miracle that we're going to read about tonight is a teaching miracle it's a teaching you could call it a a miracle that's a parable in itself i remember when i studied the book of john and our professor was teaching us this he says all the miracles of Jesus are more than just about the miracle itself there is a lesson behind every miracle and so in this particular miracle that we're going to look at tonight as we continue through the book of Mark there's a real teaching parable here when they arrived at Bethsaida some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him now, remember, we're still in Syria. We're still in a place where these are are Gentiles that are are teaching and preaching the gospel. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. Anybody remember why he led him out of Bethsaida? Anybody remember that? This was where Jesus came back and preached and did miracles, and people were going to throw him off the cliff. They didn't, you know, they rejected Jesus, and he said I, he would not come back there and do any more miracles and woe to them. So Jesus takes him outside of Bethes- Bethsaida and he led him out of the village and then spitting on the man's eyes. Now this is a little different than last week. Jesus actually spits in the man's eye. Now, I'm not trying to be funny. I just want you to get cuz this was shocking. The Greek word for spitting here and and no kidding is patuo. It's patuo. And some of you are thinking patui right now. So, and I'm not, and this is going to be funny, but I'm not meaning to be, or it may be crass, whatever you think, just, you know, Jesus goes, and spits on the man's eyes. Now, you and I, I am repulsed by that, right? You're repulsed by that. But in Jesus's day, this wasn't a repulsive thing, and there's a reason he's doing this. He spits, he, he, he takes him by the hand, he leads him outside the village, he spits on the man's eyes, he lays hands on him and asks, can you see anything now? And the man looked around and said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened, his sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly." Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say you're one of the other prophets. And <clears throat> then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then Jesus began to tell them. Now, this is the continental divide of the book of Mark. okay? because at this point, we've been looking at all the miracles about Jesus and his work uh, with people. Now we're going to begin to focus on his 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 intense concentration upon teaching his disciples and his suffering and death for our sins and resurrection. And then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. Now, Mark would have never made this story up. I mean, this is not the kind of story you would make up of, of God having twice to touch somebody to, he, to heal them. This is not a made-up story, so you've got to ask yourself, why are there two touches here? I referenced that a little bit last week. And here are and I've got to go through these quickly because we have so many to look at tonight. but number one, you and I have two sets of eyes. One set of our eyes is spiritual, and one set is physical. And what Jesus does is he opens the spiritual eyes first. And then he opens the physical eyes and i will show you that in just a few more minutes as we go through the scripture but all of us have physical sight but all of us god has blessed us with spiritual sight and that's why this miracle and all the miracles before it are so important and why the question jesus asked who do you say that i am is so important second thing i need you to know here as we go through this passage or through this miracle rather quickly tonight is this Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus' power is not limited. Jesus has not run, as some commentators that I've read, that Jesus has run into a miracle that surprises him and he's got to, he's got to pray a second time. He's got to do a second work. That's not what this is about. Jesus has already proved he can heal with a thought. Jesus has already proved he can heal in person. He can heal without being there in person. He's cast out demons. He's opened the eyes of the blind. He's opened the ears of the deaf. He's caused a mute man to speak. I mean, there's so many. Jesus knows what he's doing. This is a deliberate way that Jesus has chose to heal him. Let's look at this again. Jesus took the blind man by the hand. Let him out of the village, out of Bethsaida, then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked him, can you see anything now? Now that's an interesting question. Jesus hasn't asked anybody that so far. He's drawing the man out. The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Now because of that, I believe this man probably lost his sight as a child or as a young man and that he recognized what trees were and he recognized people. He said they, they looked like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and his eyes were open and his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is modeling servanthood for us. Jesus in servanthood is building steps of grace for us for me and for you. He's building steps of grace for this man. Remember, I talked about this in prayer service Saturday night. I talked about this Sunday morning, that our Smith Wigglesworth said, our problems are a step up into the grace of God. Now get this picture, because if you get this and just slowly think about it, and maybe make a few extra notes on what we had room for tonight, God, God incarnate, God in the flesh is holding this man's hand. He's holding this man's hand. Now, friends, holding hands, that's a sign of intimacy. I, I don't really, unless I'm praying with other people, I don't hold anybody's hands except for Becky's and my daughter is Amy's. Now, I, even my sons, I love them very much, but we don't walk around holding hands. I guess I'll hold my grandchildren's hands or a child's hands when they're with me. But to hold hands is, is very, that's intimate. I, I, I have been in countries for preaching where people will reach, men will reach out. It's not a, it's not a homosexual thing. It's not a, it's not a, a, a romantic thing. But they'll reach out and just hold your hand while they're talking. So one of my friends came from overseas. We were having breakfast at the Marriott, and we're sitting there, and he reaches across and he's holding my hand. And at first, I thought, well, he'll let go in a moment or two, and he didn't. He just kept. And finally, I just looked at him. I said, listen in America, men don't do this. He goes, what? I said, don't hold my hand in America. He goes, oh, what does that mean? So when I told him that it was a sign of, a, of, of affection, it was either for a child or you held the hand of your wife or a wife held the hand of her husband or a boyfriend and girlfriend, he goes, oh, no! And he just pulled his hands back like that, you know? So the point I'm making here is, Jesus is holding this man's hand, he's talking to him in his ear and he says, now watch out for this rock, there's a hole right here, there's a tree root here. God is taking him by the hand and he's guiding him and he's leading, isn't this powerful? You think that God will take us by the hand and he takes him away from the crowd. Now, I gotta say something about this man. I don't think this man had any expectation. His friends brought him to Jesus. This is not like blind Bartimaeus that we're going to read about in just a, in a f- couple more weeks. Blind Bartimaeus sees Jesus, and hears Jesus' is coming, and he goes, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This guy is brought by his friends. He probably doesn't even want to go and be the center of attention, but his friends are telling him, Everything Jesus does is wonderful. And when they come to Jesus, they say, Jesus, we want you to touch him. We want you to do what you did for the blind and deaf man. We want you to touch him. Sometimes people have more faith in what Jesus did in the past than who Jesus is in the present. And we want to limit God to how he worked in the past, to how he works in our lives. But Jesus is going to exceed the crowd and this man's experience. Number four, biblically, sight is seeing and perceiving. Biblically, sight is seeing and perceiving. Now, you won't get this from just reading your English Bible, but Keith, you're a Greek scholar. You know this already. There are eight different words in this miracle used for sight and seeing. Eight different. Now, they all translate properly into our English to see or to to look or sight, but there are eight different Greek words here. And so there's a lot more going on than what you might think when you read this passage. Now, I'm gonna make a confession. And then if there's anybody else in here like me, I would sure like to know that so I could tell my family. I have difficulty seeing. When I say I have difficulty seeing, I can go to the pantry and i will go to the pantry and i will look for let's say peanut butter crunchy peanut butter It's the only kind god meant for us to eat was crunchy peanut butter my my wife and daughter disagree with me but i go to the pantry and i will say to myself look very carefully and so i will look at every shelf i'll go right down to the bottom and i can't find it so finally i'll go honey becky (laughs) amy and they will walk in and there's the peanut butter right there in front of me and they'll pull off the shelf and they'll say, you can't see anything. And it's not that I can't see anything, but she's Madame Autissi. She just makes things appear that were not there. But I, I can do that with a shirt in my closet. I can do that with a tool in a toolbox. And, and my, my whole family, my sons, my three sons, my daughter, my wife, they'll all tease me about that. The problem is, There are some things that we can't see unless Jesus touches us. And there are some things in this life that you and I need to understand that there are people, listen, there are people that we can't make them see, but we can bring them to Jesus and he can heal their sight, not only physically, but he can heal their sight spiritually. We have to bring our friends. These people, these were Gentiles. These were not Jewish people. They were bringing their blind friend to Jesus, and because Jesus knew knew they wanted him to touch him, Jesus did something totally different in this man's life, and he exceeded their expectations. It's why Jesus said, and we don't, it's not in your outline, but you may want to jot this down to the side. In Matthew 13, 13, he says, this is why I use parables, for they look, but they really don't see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. It's why every morning when I get up and read my Bible, when I start my study for my message preparation, when I start a leadership uh, leverage lesson that I teach once a month, when I go to speak somewhere else, I I sit down every single time, and I don't always use these same words, but basically I'm saying, Father, open my eyes. Help me to see. Help me to hear what you're saying, and help me to say only what you're saying to the people I'm going to be speaking to. I confess daily to him and I have a good education I'm thankful for it but I confess daily to the Lord I can't understand this book unless you teach me and when people come to the Bible thinking they don't need the help of the Holy Spirit or God's help to understand the Bible It's not your educational degree that gives you the insight. It's the grace of God. God wants us to understand with more than our minds. He wants us to understand with our heart. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 10.10? He said, it's by believing in your heart, you were made right with God. It's getting it from here to here, into your will, to your emotions, of saying, Lord, I trust you. Jesus would also say in Matthew 13.15, he said, I speak to these people this way because their hearts are hardened and their ears cannot hear. They've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear. Their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. What does the word turn mean? What's another word for turn? We've illustrated a lot. It's a 180 degree turn. Repent, right. It's repent. Repent. And so what he's saying is, it's with the heart that all of a sudden you move from this mental understanding of who Jesus is, because everybody's a theologian today. I have so many people I've taught with, and they tell me what God is like or what God's not like. And sometimes they'll say, well, my God is not this, or my God is not that. And I'll say, well, the Bible says this. Oh, no. I've even had folks say, I don't care what the Bible says. You know, dude, listen up. You can't turn unless, first of all, you get the bread of life. You can't turn unless, first of all, you let the Lord touch you and help you. So there is a progression between seeing and hearing and perceiving the results in healing. There's a progression between seeing and hearing and perceiving the results in healing. So what do we do? Number five, we read the Bible prayerfully And contextually now we've talked about prayer for a moment but a text without a context is a pretext in other words I can make the Bible say anything I want it to say if I take it out of context for instance you've all heard the joke that who who in the Bible had no parents Joshua he was the son of none maybe you've heard this one before that King David rode a triumph motorcycle because it says that David's triumphs roar was heard throughout the lands. You know, those kinds of things that people say, you know, they're jokes, they're humorous that people will use. There's another one that says that Moses played tennis because he refused to serve in the courts of Pharaoh. You know, people take stuff like this all the time and they'll pull it out and they'll ask me a scripture. When we read our Bibles, we want to know that we're reading the Bible and that the context of what we're reading makes sense of what we think the passage is saying. So the context of this miracle, the religious police, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're coming to Jesus. They're saying, show us a miracle they don't believe. The disciples, they're in the boat. They think Jesus is mad at them because They didn't bring any bread when he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. They're not perceiving. They're seeing. The Pharisees saw the miracles. The religious police saw the miracles. The disciples saw the miracles. They still hadn't perceived who Jesus was. And that's leading us to the question that we've already read that he's going to ask, who do you say that I am? And sometimes I think if we're not careful, we can do the same thing in our denominationalism we can do the same thing with our traditions we can do the same thing with just our cultural context because we expect jesus to do it this way my friend was not doing anything wrong holding my hand but in america that translated as something totally different culturally and so exegeting the scripture involves looking at the context as well why then is it this why the trees i see all men like trees walking or i've quoted king james i see people like trees walking biblically trees represent people and i'm not going to take time to read all of these scriptures but i could give you scriptures that show where trees represent rulers where trees represent wicked rulers where trees can represent nations where trees represented the two witnesses You know, the two olive trees, we looked at that when we went through the book of Zechariah just recently. But let's just look at a couple here. Psalms 1-3, they are like trees, Who the people who meditate on God's word and do God's word. We talked about that Sunday morning. Psalms 52 and verse 8, but I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. And I give you several others that you can look at. Seventhly, spiritual blindness affects all of humanity. It affects me, it affects you. It affects blue-collar people, it affects white-collar people. It affects disciples of Jesus, and it affects the Pharisees and the religious leaders. It affects the moral and the immoral. And that's the point of this miracle, is that all of us, to a certain degree, wrestle with spiritual blindness. And what you see is the man's vision is going to become clearer. Socrates once said, and it shocked everybody because Socrates was considered a very humble man, but Socrates said he was the wisest man in Athens. And so when the people of Athens asked him what he meant, he said something like this, well, there are a great many Athenians who think they know, and I know I do not know. And since I know that I do not know, I am the wisest of all the Athenians. Now let that sink in. There are a lot of people, they've got God in a box. They know how it's supposed to happen. One of my favorite stories was listening to John Wimber preach one time, and John Wimber got all mad at the Lord because the Holy Spirit moved in the service, and it wasn't according to John's plan. And he said, I told the Lord, don't ever do that again, you know. And they said, that's when the Lord taught him who was head of the church. Okay? So we don't want to get God in a box. You say, "Well, pastor, that's a little bit disturbing. I know it is. So it should keep us humble. First of all, think of our lost friends. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now friends, that's a huge statement right there for us to think about. This is why I talk to my friends about Jesus now before I talk, I mean, why I talk to Jesus about my friends now before I talk to them. Because I realize I'm dealing with the blind. I'm dealing with people who do not know. I just had a conversation just recently with a, a man who told me, he said, you know, I, I, I can't ever remember a time I committed my life to Christ. He goes, I, I'm I'm." I wouldn't call myself a Christian. And then just recently we got together again for just a talk and he begins telling me, he goes, how moral he is, how good he is and, and how that he feels like God is pleased with his life and, and have you committed, your, have you trusted in Jesus to forgive you of your sins? And this, he's just blind to this. But the fact that he's now asking more questions, I see a piece of fruit on the tree that's ripening. Daddy used to tell us, We don't pull a peach off the peach tree until it's ripe. When a peach is ripe, all you have to do is put your hands under it and just tap it, and it will drop right off in your hand. And they're so sweet, and they're so good. They're not like these hard pinkish green things we buy in the Kroger up here, okay? But when when they're ripe, they just... That's why Jesus said, the fields are wide unto harvest. Let's pray for our lost friends. Let's pray for our lost neighbors. But... Number eight, only God can heal my spiritual blindness. Because Peter makes this marvelous confession of who Jesus is. Are you tracking with me? You following here? Because I'm moving this fast. Jesus makes this, I mean, Peter makes this marvelous confession of who Christ is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. And then in the next verse or two, Jesus is going to be rebuking him and saying, If you know it, say it with me. Get thee behind me. So here's someone, their eyes are opening, but their vision is not clear yet. They're seeing Jesus like a tree walking around. Jesus replied, Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Peter got that as revelation truth from the Lord but yet he still wasn't completely clear on the sufferings of who Jesus was going to be so in conclusion tonight before we look at our our uh, growth work and this is a rather long statement that I wrote but I want you to just kind of process this with me Jesus heals our spiritual blindness by faith in him in stages through community And builds our confidence in Him. He heals our spiritual blindness by faith in stages through community and builds our confidence in Him. We don't come to God and tell God how to do it. I am guilty of that so often. God, would you touch Josiah, my grandson? And I'll start going through a list of things. And, you know, tomorrow Josiah goes in for just a little bit of surgery that he's got to have tomorrow. And so I'm asking you to pray for him tonight. Pray with us tonight for... Uh, 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 healing there in his life some of you you let me know you pray every day for Josiah but we come to him and we just ask him Lord heal and we don't tell him how to do it because we're not going to box him in secondly we submit to him now if you do what I'm asking you to do here tonight let's just say here's some of the things people ask me sometimes they'll say would you pray that I'll be more sensitive to other people's needs and I go yeah, but if I pray for you to be more sensitive to other people's needs, God's probably going to bring somebody cantankerous into your life. Are you ready for that? One of the older men in our church, he said, Pastor, never pray for patience for me again. (laughs) Because he asked me to pray for patience for him. If you pray, Lord, I want to grow. I want my heart in synchronicity with you. Then you can expect to get pruned. And Memorial Day, I was pruning some shrubs and bushes and just going up them, and I could smell the fragrance of what was happening as they were being pruned. But I'm sure if I was a bush, I wouldn't like that at all. But if you pray these prayers, you submit to God, you're letting God work in your life. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We don't see things clearly. Talking about Christians. We don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly just as He knows us. Aren't you looking forward to heaven? Aren't you looking forward to being in the presence of the Lord? So, what would I do with this tonight? Number one, I'd ask God to open my eyes to His Word daily. I want to grow. Two tests that you know that you can use when you believe God has spoken to you. Does it agree with the rest of the Bible? And does it agree with the context? Does it agree with the rest of the Bible? And does it agree with the context of what you're reading? Number three, be a bold expressor of the love of God to everybody. Everybody. You see, once you experience God's love and you realize you're blind too, we were blind, we're being healed in stages. I'm going to look back 10 years from now and I'm going to go, oh, Dennis, why didn't you get this then? Because I look back every, I told you before, I try to look back on decades of my life. I look back and you can see the growth and what you've learned and your process through all of life's experiences. But you see clearer and clearer and clearer. Don't let age blind you to what God can continue to do in your life. Be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But you don't feel superior to people who don't. My friend I was just telling you about, I don't feel superior to him. I'm grateful that he calls me his friend. I'm grateful that he's included me in his life. I don't feel superior because I too was once totally blind. Does that make sense? And we don't look down our noses at people. Let me just pull one that's very sensitive right now. You know, you hear politicians and talking heads on the media razzing us up about undocumented, illegal people from overseas in our nation. I believe in secure borders. But I have to ask myself the question, if I can go to El Salvador, if I can go to Colombia, Bolivia, Uruguay, Paraguay, some of these countries I've ministered in... And these fo- and love these folks and minister to them there. Why should I look down my nose at them and call them names and hurl insults at them? How can I show the love of Jesus to them? What is God saying to us that so many people are coming to our nation right now? What is God saying to the church? I'm not trying to tell the politicians how to do their job. But I'm telling you, our job is not to look down with disdain upon people. Our job is to minister the love of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And to do what God has called us to do. And our sight, if we'll understand this, our sight will become progressively clearer the closer we, walk down to, we, we, closer we walk to Jesus. Finally, a relationship with Jesus is just that. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. You can go to Jesus. You can talk to him. You can ask him questions. Jesus will come to you. It's a relationship because Jesus came to do for you what you could never do for yourself. Jesus didn't come to show you, look at me, don't miss this. Jesus didn't come to show you how to live a better life. I said this two weeks ago on Sunday morning, Jesus came to save you from your sins. Jesus came to live the life that you and I never will completely live in this world. Jesus came to die the death that you and I should have died for our own sins. That's why that song that we used to sing when we were teenagers, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. It's because Jesus came and did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And finally, don't get stuck between the touches. What if the man had said enough? He could see people as trees walking. What if the people had said enough? He needed that second touch. I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh touch from God in my life. Don't get stuck where you're at. There's grace upon grace. There's precept upon precept. Can you say amen? Well, let's pray together. Father, we love you so much and we thank you Jesus for this wonderful passage tonight. And we thank you too, Jesus. We just make our confession. You didn't have to touch this man twice. You chose to touch this man twice. Your power and your miracles are not limited, Lord. You are the great I am. And we thank you, Jesus, for not only that you are the bread of life and that you wash our sins away, but we thank you that you are alive and living in our hearts and moving among us today. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us tonight.